I would now like to introduce our patron, Mike O'Brien. As I'm sure all of you know, Mike was a victim of a terrible miscarriage of justice in the notorious Cardiff Newsagent 3 case in 1987. He was wrongly imprisoned for 11 years and will share some of his experiences of both the flaws in the criminal justice system and the problems exonerated people face on their release from prison. Well, I've got to be honest with you, I don't really want to talk about my case and I'll tell you the reason why. I'm more interested, I'm here for Jeremy today. Um, my case is well documented, if you want to have a look online, if you want to know about my case, it's all there. I want to explain, um, when I was in Long Latin prison, I was in on D-wing, in, on the wing, and I remember Jeremy actually coming on the wing. And he was two doors away from me, and you know... Everybody was fascinated by him, you know, because they've seen all the press and, you know, what, you know, people, you know. And what struck me with Jeremy, I, I, got, I struck up a, a little friendship with him. And one thing I did notice, he stood out like a sore thumb. He did, he did stand out like a sore thumb. He, he, he didn't fit in with the norm. And I, and I, I got to be honest with you, um, when he told me he was innocent, I was prepared to listen because I was an innocent man myself. Anyone who says they're innocent, you've got to give them a chance to put their side of the story in. Put all the stuff from the newspapers out of your thinking. And I quickly come to the conclusion that Jeremy was innocent for a, num for a number of reasons. He just couldn't have done it. And he wasn't that type of person. He was so gentle. You know, when you read in the press, you know, and Carol Ann Lee's book and the nonsense which she sprouted out is just unbelievable. That's not the Jeremy I know. So, you know, I, I done 11 years. I, I was in in that prison for seven years with Jeremy and we went on, I went on a hunger strike. Jeremy joined us as well. We went on a hunger strike at Christmas time to protest our innocence and stuff like that. And we, I think it was the first time prisoners have ever, ever coordinated a hunger strike throughout the prison system. There was 20 in Gartree prison on hunger strike, 15 in Long Latin, 10 in Bristol. And it's the first time um, it's ever been done before. And Jeremy was part of that. And, you know, I'll take my hat off to him. He stood by us, do you know what I mean? And we stood by him. Because all miscarriages of justice victims stand, by, stand together. That's how it was in Long Martin Prison. I mean, Mike Shirley was in there. He'd done 15 years. He's now out. I mean, um, there was George Long, who'd done 14 years. He's now out. He was on the hunger strike with us. And there was many others. Some of the Birmingham Six were in there. And they all got released, as you know. Sadly, I'm sad, I'm sad to sit here today to say, you know, nearly 37 years, Jeremy is still in prison because he should not be in prison. I can wholeheartedly say, in my professional opinion, that he did not do this crime. And I do not care, you know, what the, the haters say. I, I've seen it all. I've had it all online where people have criticised me. I've been called delusional. I've been called all sorts. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, these people don't even look at the case, don't even look at the evidence. And I think the last comment I seen, there was a woman online said, I think he's guilty. And, and somebody said, well, what, on what basis? Uh, just my opinion. Well, you can't, if you went on opinion all the time, there'd be a lot of uh, innocent people in prison, a lot more than what there is now. And um, so yeah, there's gonna be a lot of criticisms, but I do believe Jeremy's innocent. I've mentioned him in my book, Prisons Exposed. Um, when I wrote the book on Prisons Exposed, it was all about um, life sentence prisoners. And I said, well, Jeremy's actually got, he did get a whole life tariff, but he was innocent. And I, I mentioned it in the book. Um, I took Jeremy over to um, abroad with me. I had a t-shirt made up, didn't I, Yvonne? Uh, 30 years. And we went uh, 
I'm trying to think where it was now. Armenia. Armenia, yes. I couldn't think of it for a minute. And we done a lot of TV shows over there, you know, and we went over there with um, the like the like the Innocence Project type thing. Um, we went over there, and um, they were talking about Jeremy on the shows, which was great because we got him international publicity. So that's my involvement in Jeremy's case. I done a TV documentary in two thousand and three. Um, I mentioned Jeremy's case there, and I was the only one on the program. It was that biased. It was just unbelievable. I'd never seen anything like it. You know, it, it wasn't a balanced view. They had me there, and you could imagine they were bombarding me from all sides. But I stood my ground because I knew Jeremy was innocent. Um, what you know, people ask me, what is Jeremy like? Well, what do they expect Jeremy to be like? He's a tidy guy, in my view. You know, um, he's there's. You know, you know, people have said, oh, is he a psychopath? Is he this? Is he that? No, he's not. He's just a normal guy who's had an injustice done to him. And what I feel for Jeremy is he hasn't had a chance to grieve for his family. So he's got, on the one hand, he's lost his family. On the other hand, he's been, uh, then he's been wrongly convicted. And all he has is, is us now. We're his family. Because we're the ones fighting for him to get out. Because you've got to look at the longer picture. When he does get out, and I do believe he will get out, you know, he's gonna have to, he's gonna ha be a hard time to rebuild his life, and this is where we need experts when he does come out, like psych psychologists, psychiatrists, because I can tell you from my own experiences, when you get when you get the conviction overturned, and he will, I I, I assure you, I do really believe he will. The problems then begin, and I know that's down the line, but that's something I want you to have you know to have insight to. A miscarriage of justice doesn't start when he just comes out of the Court of Appeal and everything hunky-dory, you get your compensation and everything's fine. Far from it. I'll give you an example. I've been out 35 years now. I'm still on medication. I still see a psychiatrist. But I'm still here fighting. And that's the most important. And there's a lot of damage which gets done to victims of miscarriage of justice. There's John at the back there. I'm sure he can, you know... Voucher, you know, we're traumatized by what we've gone on. But what keeps us going is helping other people. And, you know, if there's anything I can do for Jeremy, and he knows this, you know, we've, we have corresponded. I'm not the best of letter writers, because I wrote 70 letters a week when I was in prison. And I mean, you, you can imagine when I come out, that's the last thing I wanted to do is write loads of letters and whatever. But the fact is, um, the CCRC need to get their you know, sort themselves out because I was told by a CCRC person, I won't mention him, his name, but he told me that when they get the opportunity to send this case back, they would do so because they were convinced that Jeremy was innocent and they sh he should have won his appeal in 2002. So, you know, that, that, that shows the way they were thinking when I spoke to him. So, with all the new evidence he has, why hasn't this case been referred? Because the way I see it, justice delayed is that is justice denied. I'll, I'll leave it at that, and you know, if anybody wants to ask me any more questions, because I know um, we've got to go out and uh, sightseeing and we and, and see things. Sightseeing. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. You know, see that. Yeah, but you know what I mean. We've got to go out and see things. So if anyone's got any questions, you know, please feel free to uh, to ask. Any questions for Mike? Just a minute. Um, question is just uh, do you, when he gets out, where does he 
he want to do? Does he want to go back to his home, or does he want to just start again? Do you have any idea of how he feels about that? I'm not sure because I, uh, you know, I, I'm not in regular correspondence with him as I used to be. Because I, I, I mean, um, I, I do a lot of campaigns and, and whatever. I leave that to the campaigners to sort things like that. I'm not sure, but it, it is something um, we have to look at when the time comes. Because where is he going to go? Where is his home? These are all the, these are these are all the things which are are going to are going to come out, and you know. Um, his family, as far as I'm concerned, and I said this on, I done a Radio Essex programme with uh, James Whale, and I was asked that question, well, about Jeremy's family, and I said, well, where is family now? Because yeah. he's all, we're all he's got. Yeah. But rest assured, when he does walk out of that Court of Appeal, we're going to be there for him. And, you know, John at the back is hoping to set up um, a programme called Life After Life, and I think he'll do it as well, because John is very determined. And it's aftercare when people come out of prison, because when I come out of prison, there was nothing. They give me £100,000 and said, there you go, have a nice day. So what did I go and do? It went to my head, I did all stupid things, I started partying and whatever. We're going to make sure the mistakes I made and the mistakes others have made, Jeremy's not going to go down them roads because we can already identify all those issues. So at least some positive has come out of the negative from what we've been through because we can guide Jeremy and believe me, he's going to need proper help when he comes out. That's all I can say to you. He's going to need... Um, he might think he's okay. I thought I was okay. Yeah, six months down the line, I ended up in the hospital, uh, you know, because I was doing too much work fighting for other people and I hadn't recovered myself. So there, there's all a lot of issues to deal with there when he does come out. But I'm sure with the team he's got, he's going to be all right. You know what I mean? And we've got to look positive on that and look forward to, you know, helping him rebuild his life. He said that, was it correct, he said that see, when he spoke to the CRC, they said that they wanted to give him a, they wanted the opportunity to give him another appeal. Was that correct what he said? I can't hear him properly. He said when he spoke to someone from the CCRC, they wanted to give him an opportunity for another appeal. Yes, they do. They, so, they believe he's innocent. So in your opinion then, what you want to say, why do you think he's not been granted? Politics. I think politics it, it, it does play a little part in it because of um, the nature of the crime maybe, I don't know. But the fact is, he's got the evidence and I think, like the Birmingham 6 was politics, wasn't it? The Guildford 4 was politics, but in the end, something's got to give. And I really believe that something's got to give in Jeremy's case because, you know, I don't know all the evidence they got. I, I know they, uh, they've got a lot of new evidence. and. It's enough to overturn the conviction, there's no doubt about it. You know, the, the things, excuse me, the things the jury didn't hear, and that's the most important thing as well. If the jury would have, you know, if we had a jury now and Jeremy was, you know, present, presented with his evidence now, he would never have been convicted. Probably would have never have been charged. And that's what we've got to remember. And I would say Jeremy's probably one of the longest miscarriages of justice victims in British legal history. Uh, let's hope the CCRC do the right thing, because if they don't, rest assured, people like me are going to be on their case. You know, we're not, we're not going away anywhere. You know, and there's so many of us who are, who are committed to getting this case referred back to the Court of Appeal, and that's exactly the, our aim and what we're going to do. And that, there's one other traumatising element that I learnt from Mike about uh, being wrongfully convicted. When you come out uh, and they're working out your compensation, 
incredibly, they deduct your bed and board for the time that you've been in prison, which, which is, is to me quite incredible. But uh, I didn't know that until Mike uh, mentioned it a few they years ago. John, they done it to John as well, didn't they, John? Um, they Really I have to agree to it, or if I didn't agree, I would have to take them to court. That would be the High Court, the Appeal Court, and the European Court. I would get legal aid stopped, because they would say, this is how much he's got, and it will come out to that. So I, I, I have to agree that the government took £75,000 for board and lodgings. And as I mean Michael, we, he didn't put it in the Ritz Hotel. And obviously, that's what happened to every miscarriage of justice that came out, they took board and lodgings. So not only are you victim of a miscarriage of justice, they're charging you for the privilege, yeah. which is extraordinary. But Barbara. Yeah, to introduce Barbara. Yeah, Barbara, could you want to join us? If you... Come on, Barbara. Sorry. For those of you who don't know, this, this is Barbara Stone, who, who's spoken at our Zoom meetings. Well, that's a surprise appearance. Uh, but ba Barbara is the sister of Michael Stone, who I'm sure you've all heard of his case. Uh, he was wrongly convicted for the terrible killing of Lynn and Megan Russell uh, a good number of years ago. Uh, and his case is now back at the CCRC after Levi Belfield confessed to that particular horrific murder uh, and thereby exonerated Michael. So that case, as I understand it, is still with the CCRC. Still with the CCRC. We were waiting, just a little update, we were waiting for a single piece of paper which I believe was held by the local police force. That wasn't forthcoming, but after um, legal proceedings were started by CCRC, who I have to say have started to turn over a new leaf of late, so there's hope for us all. Good. Um, so we're still waiting, so it'll be nearer Christmas. But I did once write to the prison that Mick was in, because it was awful, and I reminded them of his duty of care, and I looked up on the internet and sent them a letter that they were providing him with a service under the relevant law, <laughs> and therefore they were going to charge him when they released him for his bed and breakfast and his food and his bills and, and that he needed to have certain so-and-so. And they wrote back actually with a really quite sarcastic letter that they would be happy to um, discuss that when he was released. So mm. that's on hold, that conversation. <laughs> I think they weren't. But as well, you might not be aware there's different levels of innocence that the Court of Appeal do quash conviction. It doesn't mean you're going to get compensation. Yeah. So there's actually a fight going on in Europe at the moment with Sam Allen and Victor Nealon's case because they were declared um, their convictions overturned in the Court of Appeal. I didn't get a penny because, like Barry George, they're not innocent enough. So that's in Europe at the minute, mm -hmm. trying to... Like, we're not... Um, yeah, it's different for everybody. I don't really know who could be more innocent than another person. Yeah. But, but evidently they're going to be measuring at what point you could have been found innocent or things could have been corrected. 
Um, I don't really think we're anticipating that's going to apply to us, thank goodness, because every other single horrible rule has done. <coughs> but if he were ever freed, I think we, we were... Um, I, I don't know. I, my, my brother also knows Jeremy Bamber, by the way, <laughs> for those that you would, wouldn't know that. He's, he's a quite a well-known figure in the system and one that, as Mike said, when they move from prisons to prison, you'll find all the innocent prisoners together. Um, and therefore they're getting to know each other case and he's also been supportive of him but he hasn't seen him for a good number of years. Um, my brother's preferring to keep himself ducked down in Durham rather than moving around the system or creating that reason to move him at the moment so that's where he is. So, uh, what do you want to talk about then? So any questions? <laughs> Anyone want to know anything? <laughs> Sorry I caught on the hop here today. Actually, I'll, I'll ask you a question. Yeah, okay. please and, do. How's Mike holding up? under the sort of current weight, obviously, like Jeremy, presumably, he must be very anxious to... He is. I, I think it's really difficult, but I think probably like Jeremy, they do quite a, quite a lot of things the same. They, they get up, they, they stick to their routine, don't they? My brother finds comfort in routine. Um, so he'll get up and have his breakfast and um, then he'll go to the gym or the workshop and then maybe a bit of socialisation afterwards. And he phones me five times a day, which is quite endearing, especially when I'm busy. Um, <laughs> and the barrister, he talks to his barrister every single day, maybe twice a day, even Christmas Day. So, so that's how he fills his day, and I think he offloads his stress and things as he's going through. But that's pretty much how he is. Other than that, he keeps himself to himself. Um, but at the moment, I don't think there's anyone with him who's, who's saying they're innocent. And he lives on the open ward, actually. The big thing for us is that Levi Belfield's all in, also in the same prison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he, because, you know, most people who are accused and convicted of killing children or sexual offences, offences against women, they live on what's called the um, vulnerable person's wings. So, actually, Levi Belfield's there, but my brother's always, from the word to go, refuse to live there so he lives with the open population now so they're in the same prison but in different wings right. which is, which is a good thing i feel um, yeah. so any other questions for, for barbara no if you're having a cup of tea or afterwards we can have a little socialize if you want oh, yeah. i just want to say yeah. meetings, a lot of us have uh, uh, we've got a lot of good wishes to yourself and, 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 and michael uh, you know, we, we build up, I can't speak for everybody, but I certainly believe he's totally innocent and we'll soon make yourself turn the yeah. better. I, I think so. For those of you who don't know his case, he the only piece of evidence against him is um, what they call a cell confession. So allegedly, my brother went, well not allegedly, he most definitely went to the governor of the prison and said, can you put me a cell in, in a cell all on my own? where well, I'm not going to be able to talk to anybody because people are making false allegations and it's not true. So the governor signed a document, which is obviously entered into evidence at a later date, um, saying that you're in a cell where you can't talk to anyone. So on the night of his arrival in this particular prison, there were like several hundred prisoners screaming at him, kill him yourself, kill, him, kill yourself, you nonce, and... You know, all the very unsavoury things that prisoners apparently do when they don't like the prisoner coming in. Um, but in amongst this, my brother went, Psss. Now, there's a pipe between the cells that carries the hot water, the heating. And he apparently went, Psss. Smashing eggs. 
it's like killing, it's bashing heads. Um, so there's hundreds of people screaming at the same time, remember? And then you made a reference to the dog made more noise than her, whispered. Um, and there was one other comment that eludes me now. And that is the basis of the confession. That is the base, that is the only evidence that there has ever been against my brother. Um, it seems like the more serious the crime, the less evidence you need. The less evidence you've got at conviction, the more you need when you get to the CCRC. And I think it's a point that our um, team are going to challenge now legally, because there's just is nothing. There's not even any circumstantial evidence left anymore. So the other thing about Damien Daly, this is the said person who heard the confession, when he gave evidence at the first trial, he was clearly lying, we knew he was lying. But at the second trial, he admitted to lying in the first trial. And he went on to say that when he heard Mick talking to him through the pipe, that the pipe was so hot that he had to put a towel down on the pipe. Now this was the 23rd of September. So we got another order from the governor confirming that the heating's not turned on in a prison until the 1st of October, which is fairly common for all common government buildings. So, you know, but still he was convicted. And we can't go to the Court of Appeal now with any evidence that says Dave and Daly's lying. Because last time we were at the Court of Appeal, in their judgment, they said that it wouldn't matter what you said, Damien Daly is a liar. He said he's a liar. He said he lies every day to get by in life. So, so the jury convicted on the knowing that he was a liar. So therefore that will stand forever. And Which I think, puts us in a bit of a position, really. Well, I think if I remember rightly, he was subsequently convicted of murder himself. Yeah, and he's been convicted of murder. In the run-up to him being convicted of murder, he threatened to murder my mother. One of his family members tried to trip her over in the court. I, I have to take some responsibility because I took absolute pleasure watching him being sent away initially for 10 years and then later he went away for life for murder himself. But more I went because I wanted to know about his family history to see what it was that, um, you know, and that at the end when they pre um, present their mitigation, I wondered if there's anything that would be helpful to me. <laughs> so I probably um, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> But you do all sorts, I mean, if you're sitting here, like Yvonne's sitting here, Mike's sitting here, I've done all sorts. Somebody even took an injunction out against me to stop me talking about cell confessions or any witnesses in my brother's case. So for two months until I could go to the Court of Appeal, I was not able to talk about my brother's conviction. Uh, there was a legal ban. And when I went to the Court of Appeal, there was none of the, no barristers were available to represent me, the freebies I'm talking about, you know, the helpful ones. Um, so I had to go and represent myself. So they told me everything that I needed to say, what points of law I needed to draw on. I had it all written down. I took my mum along to pass me all bits of paper up um, so that I could read them out to the judges. But it started as a very quiet hearing, just me and the other person. Um, and he had a barrister, I'd, he had a barrister I didn't have. Um, but when I looked around, nearly all looked like nearly all the legal people in the Court of Appeal were sitting in the back <coughs> of the court watching. So, such was the interest. But I got so flustered in there, I forgot to ask for my expenses. That was the only bad thing about it. But I did walk out with the judge saying that he reaped what he sowed. And that as long as I didn't put him in harm's way, 
that I could say and do what I liked and I was from then on allowed to speak about self-confessions and about my brother's case again. But it's, it's horrifying to think that somebody could do that to you. For two months I couldn't defend him. Mm. And, and that's, that kind of theme has been something that's run through our case. So another thing I did, I, I, I can't always say that I do the right thing. I think it's the right thing for me. It's the right thing for my brother. So we thought it'd be a nice idea if you talked to the press. So you know, I don't know if anyone knows that Cat A people have to have their phone numbers that they call cleared for a system of clearance. So my number's cleared, so he wanted to talk to the press. Well, I wanted him to talk to the press, shall we say. It was more that way around. So when he rang, I put him on loudspeaker. So most, some of you may have heard that on the programmes on the Chilinda murders. That was done at my house. And our punishment for that was we weren't allowed to talk to each other for two months. And that's been, if my brothers upset them at Wakefield, then uh, they've been trying to strip search me. And I just think, what? So, so the whole of the time through all of this, there's all these, been these little sort of side events, if you like. I don't know if you've had that experience. They're doing that with us at the minute. Yeah, there's all these like little experiences you have that, that are outside the normal. At High Down in Surrey, a well-known drug user came up and run something down there, or tried to. And my dad, who was 82, picked up his walking stick and said, one more inch, but what he was trying to do is strike me so that the dogs would sniff me out and I wouldn't get my visit. Because he was so, I don't know whether you've had this as well, I've been into the prison for visits and all the way through people have been going, to me. And I've had to walk through the prisons like that, sometimes under armed guard and taken into dark corners for our visits. It's, it's been quite an experience. I don't know really why I'm smiling, to tell you the truth. I'm, think, I'm thinking about the sales of book in the future at the, at the, um, you know, at the expense of the Home Office, really. <laughs> but it's very, it's very, very, um, it's a bad, bad experience. I, you know, we've we've stuck together and we've we've found our way through it really, um, and I thought he was coming home last month. That that's honestly the truth. I thought he was coming home, mm. and now something's gone horribly wrong yet again. So we just have to wait. Well, it's reassuring <laughs> to know that the Court of Appeal occasionally do make good judgments. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, they did that day, but we won our first appeal quite easily. I mean, it was quick and it was easy. Yeah. So you got a re- he got a retrial, didn't he? He got a retrial, mm-hmm. yeah, because there was another cell confession and the chat withdrew it the next day. Yeah. Well, he admitted he just made it up. Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. And um, whenever we talk about our case, we always say all it took was a few well-chosen words, mm. and actually, it's about ten in total. And that's the only things that have got led to his conviction. And the judge was clear about that. It's the only thing that's capable <coughs> of forming a conviction. Mm. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Mm. Right, any other questions for either Mike or for Barbara? Um, Do you I was, um, sorry, what was, what, was your mother, what was the initial connection between him being arrested and questioned for the murders? Oh, how did it come about? Um, Because he was on crime watch. My brother has mental health issues. Um, I'd deny it if you ever ask me again. Because we don't say that he's in there because he's got mental health issues. But the fact is that people in the hospital had a a multidisciplinary meeting. And I've sat in on quite a few of those myself of late. 
and they discussed it. Um, now, they didn't think the year that Mick was in the hospital in the 1996 when it actually happened, and Mick was in hospital soon afterwards. But at that time, the hospital, they nominated another of their patients as a potential for the murderer. So it wasn't him after he was investigated. So in 1997, when um, Crime Watch did their second programme on the year-long anniversary, um, by then it'd be, they were saying it was robbery was the motive. And because robbery potentially could be the motive, that made my brother a suspect. Um, and the police were saying, this could be someone with a psychiatric problem. This could be somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. This was a frenzied attack. I've read every single piece of paperwork. It was not a frenzied attack. There is no way you'd describe that as frenzied. It took too much organisation, to be honest. So that's how we initially came to their attention. Um, so and no, never. No, not that, that area. When we were six and seven, we were in a children's home four and a half miles away from there. I've since been the back there to film because from that they're saying we knew the area, but we weren't allowed out on our own. I mean, it's very rural, that area. There's no paths more rural than here, you know, quite very rural. And that's what they were saying. Um, you know, so they said he had links that way. He knew the area like the back of his hand. So there were a couple of people. I wouldn't say my brother was um, always on the right side of the law, always doing the right thing, but he always did the time for the crimes he committed. That I can tell you. But um, he was down there some years before. Um, he said a different area he pointed out. But there's one chap that um, doesn't like my brother. So he, he stretched the truth and said they rent the rest of the way into the area. But apparently my younger brother was there as well. But um, the police took out my younger brother to the same places. Um, and he said, no, I've never been here before. I never came here with Mick. So he's saying no. The other bloke said, oh, no, we did. Um, and so the, from that, they're saying he knows the area like the back of his hand. But actually, they, no one's ever said that he was in the area on that day, in that year, or even in that decade, to tell you the truth, I don't think. So um, it, ha it happened a long time before that he was supposed... But he denies it. And the first my brother had ever seen of the area was actually at the second trial when they did allow him to go and have a look. And, and what's interesting about it is my brother knows a place called... Um, oh, what's the house called? There's two goodness stones. There's one near Chillingdon and there is another one um, near Chillum, which is the area that my brother knows. So he thought he knew the area, but didn't realise that there was two goodness stones. So he, in fact, doesn't know the area. We never established that till the second trial, because it's not like you can go out and have a look, is it? And it's Mount, Mount Ephraim. There's a house that you can pay and visit in, near the Chillum area, the other goodness stone. And then tucked in the woods behind where the murders happens, there's a normal family house. And that's also called Mount Ephraim. So there was this confusion about, did Mick know Mount Ephraim? Did he know? And he said, no, that's not what I know. So he sent me down there to take photos. Go and see. There's a big wall along the bottom and some trees along the top. Can you take photos? So I had to go and take photos. And that's how we found out there's actually two Mount Ephraims down there, coincidentally. Mm. So no, he's never been to the area at all. But if you're interested in more background on the case, there was the excellent programme uh, Barbara mentioned, yeah. Chillenden Murders, yeah. 
uh, a two-part uh, series that's yeah. well, well worth watching. So it, it does cover quite a bit, really, and um, my brothers, Walt and all, are in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I sit here for 25 years now, I've supported him. The day he was convicted, I went straight out on the steps and was held up by the security guard while I said, he's innocent. If you've got any information, please come forward. And to be honest, for all these years, I've been doing that routinely because it's really helpful. It does bring in new information, I find. Yeah. The more noise you can make, the more... I mean, I was just walking over. I said to Johnny when I walked up here, I spoke... Three people I spoke to on the way through this village. Where were they that day? Mm. Where were they? Or is it It's just a day there's people around? But you know, you put out appeals and look for information. <coughs> Somebody think I was walking my dog then. Sometimes it really is worth the effort. Right, any other questions for Mike or Barbara or in, <coughs> on en anything else before yeah, we, fact, we... The fact all this is going on, there are so many innocent people serving time, even after a long period of time, like Jeremy. <clears throat> Does that not colour your view on justice? Is there such a thing as justice still? Well, well, do you want me to, I don't really think there's such a thing as justice, but Michael's had some. But he's only partially had it in my view, but he'd say he got justice. But I, I don't I don't you know, justice is accountability too. I don't think anyone said sorry to him. Yeah. But what is justice? You've got to measure what it is. It's justice, that's an apology, that's a look at the errors, that's putting right their mistakes. That would involve reinvestigations, accountability. I have never seen none of that, not for him and not for Johnny, not for anyone. Yeah, so you, you can give a man nearly a million pounds and he probably was a really poor man before he went in prison. Even that's not justice, is it? But also, incredibly, there's no legal way you can actually have yourself declared innocent, apparently, according to Jeremy's lawyer, Mark Newby. You, you can have your conviction quashed or overturned, but in legal terms, that doesn't, strictly speaking, make you innocent. Because no. people aren't interested in guilt or innocence. <clears throat> They're only interested in the pavoir. So, yeah. is, this, is this conviction sustainable of pavoir? Or, or was there an error of the trial? Or they are not interested whatsoever in the no. evidence of innocence. And, and so uh, the fact that if you could have like multiple judges on the same case, like a, I don't know, like a, a conglomeration of judges all make the consideration on the evidence available at any time, <coughs> would that not make um, well, this judge? Well, it, well, it, it, in Jeremy's appeal, in... Opinion, well, so I don't think it's in the consideration, you're more likely to get wind up with a more justified view of something well, I, I agree. In, in theory, that's true. But in, in the 2002 appeal, I'm right in saying there were three, three court, of, court of appeal judges. And, and they, all they, they all came to the same wrong decision. So unfortunately, mm -hmm. that in theory is a good plan, but doesn't work in practice. And that's going to be very difficult for some people to even get back so they can go on with their lives in a normal way. I think, you know, to be honest, I think people like my brother and perhaps Jeremy, they might escape that side of it just simply because there's been opportunity for those those rights to wrongs to be rights and both cases have been overridden by their high public profiles yeah. if you know what i mean I mean, in a way they've been they're political prisoners in my view 
um, you well, know, for them to come out. Yeah, it'll be newsflashed if either, either of them walk out. Mm. Um, everything about my brother's been a newsflash. Um, and they will be, and that will be the same for Jeremy as well. Mm. It will be on there, released. And then they start to look over it. I mean, this business of the suicide, that's unbelievable, isn't it? Oh, no, yes. Well, yeah. That didn't um, make him a murderer though, did it? That no, just made him different to everybody else. Yeah. What's going on? Because he didn't fit, he wasn't like all the other people that used to go to the social mm. club in Kelvin and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, they, they formed the wrong opinion of him right from the start, but that they also carried on thinking along those lines. Even though when it became a problem, he, he may not have done it, there's still holding the fact that because he was a bit of a weird one or didn't mm. forgive with everybody, he could well have done it. Just yeah. out of interest, is the local I view that he's guilty? I think that what the problem is, is that there's this. Um, uh, Family, you know, the, mm. the family are the guilty ones here yes. yeah. of all the, you know, like messing around and pointing. <coughs> Never mind what 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 you look like or lifestyle or whatever. It's the why, family. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm talking about the reason why the locals all hold back against him. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 I'm quite, I'm quite interested now, now actually, I'm quite interested in those of you that live local, do you, do you know a lot about the case, did you know Jeremy, are you supporters of him, or are you just here to sort of find out more? Yeah. Well, they may not have told that to the press in truth. The press may have just made that up themselves. Yeah. It's, it's strange, isn't it, that the people in the area that know it's rubbish, they don't speak out. Do you think is that because they don't want to be involved and don't want to be accountable in any way? Well, what happens when you're different? Yeah. Why don't you speak out a guy who's slightly different got through in jail for 30 years? Why yeah. Why would want to go against the grain because of what happens Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, and, and my experience, I mean, I'm a family member of somebody wrongly convicted, so that sets me apart a little bit from Mike and Johnny. But if you were to honestly ask me, I think there's always someone, something a little bit different about the people who are wrongly convicted. Mm. Always. they always done a little thing wrong that they've been sussed for, which is going to create an ill feeling, or, or they're a little bit outside the box to start yeah, with. I think the locals don't really sort of speak out against anything that's plainly wrong, or been said wrong, or explained mm. wrong. It's because they don't want to be part of that sticky outness, if you like. They just want to conform keep their heads down and get on with their own lives without as little disruption yeah. as possible. So therefore they don't say anything too much. Would they actually know anything, do you think? They, they, they I don't know. Maybe character references wise, maybe. 
So if the area was leafleted, for instance, I'm not suggesting we're going to do that. I'm just saying if the area was leafleted, well, yeah. would, would people respond? People that you wouldn't think of? Probably now, over a longer period of time. You think so? Not the same people as we were back then. You know, like I say, we're 37 years older. We're different people with different outlooks. As most of the locals, they haven't changed any. Mm. There's still the same big families that run this little area, landowners, farmers, <coughs> whatever you want to call them. They haven't changed. The families no. are still the same. The same members, pretty much. It's just their heads that are yeah. barbers. And not their perceptions of things. Because sometimes I've not, I've noticed. I mean, I did leaflet the area where our our, our um, event happened, um, but I have noticed of late. I've even walked down the road and somebody said to me, "I know you," and I said, "Oh, you must do really, because I don't know you, but you know how it goes." So they said, "You're Michael Stone's sister," and I said, "Yeah," and they said that um, actually, I said, "Did you know him then, or know something about it?" And they said, "No." <coughs> But I knew Damien Daly really well. That's the chap who gave the cell confession. So it just shows you. Now she was in the in in the grips of the drug world with him for a long, long time. But obviously has turned over a new leaf now, or or recovered, whichever phrase you want to learn use. Um, and she was quite willing to speak to me. And I just thought, 34 years later, you've got even longer. 37 years later, haven't you? Yeah. But I am just curious. That's all. Anyway, Mr. sorry, Kamara, <laughs> sorry, jo John. Sorry, we're gonna we have to keep an eye on the time. I'm afraid because we're gonna be chucked out fairly soon. So, if you want to lend your support to Jeremy Bamber, you can write to him in the UK using the number A five three five two A C H M Wakefield five Love Lane Wakefield W F two nine A G. Or see our website for details at www.jeremy-bamba.co.uk.